Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, welcome to September and all of that. It wasn't here last Sunday, the 1st of September, so it's good to be back and in the routine. It's great to kick off the new term together. I know life um, is pretty mad um, as we get uh, going again uh, and trying to remember all our, particularly for those of us maybe with younger families, pickup times and routines and all of that, getting back into that. But there's also something really good about that, something good about getting back into routine together something good about being together in the one place. It's hard to be of one mind when we're not in one place. And uh, often with the summertime, as important as it is, we're not always together in one place. So it is quite tricky to build together, uh, even though it's great. It's a great time in different ways. So, But there's something about this season that I always love getting kind of stuck back in again, um, thinking about how we can grow together and build together in the months in the months ahead and I'm excited about this term because I think it gives us the opportunity to continue to build a deep relationship together I think it gives us the chance to welcome new people in to grow together and to become more aware of the mission that God has called us to together here in Portadown and in the wider area and um, as a leadership team as we've reflected a little bit over the summer I think we've become increasingly grateful in our hearts for what the Lord has done amongst us collectively and individually in people's lives. And it's pretty remarkable what God has done in people's lives. Yeah. It, when, we, when we start to go through individuals and we think about the journey that many of you have been on and how people have deepened in their love for the Lord and in their development. And, and then when I think, knowing not everybody's story necessarily really intimately, but knowing more and more of people's stories and the backstory to their lives, knowing some of the pain that some of you have traveled through, um, and are continuing to travel through, knowing some of the difficult situations and circumstances you find yourself in. Um, I think it's we feel very encouraged in the midst of even that, of how the Lord is working in people's lives. And yet there's also a growing sense that God is calling us into something much bigger. I think in our almost two years of existence now, we've become increasingly aware week by week of God you're doing something here, you're knitting something, and we're not quite sure what that is all about or all for, but we have glimpses along the way, and we're grateful for that. 23 years ago to this very day, Emmanuel Church was birthed in a living room with eight people. And, uh, <clears throat> and today, 23 years in one way is a long time, and in another way it's not that long. It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing the lives that can be changed and transformed. It's amazing. And it's not always necessarily the big startling thing, some of those suddenly moments. But often it's those week-by-week -week moments where you look back over your life and you see change and transformation. And uh, I certainly count it a privilege to be part of that and to be involved in the serving and of the leadership of that. And, and so this morning, as we kind of kick off September 2019, I want to try and unveil the heart and content of where we feel God is calling us to concentrate on over the next few months. And so I'm going to start quite wide and then try and narrow it in, okay, along the way this morning. And at the end, we're going to break bread and get quite focused. So I hope that makes sense. Is that all right? So come with me on a little bit of a story, a little bit of a journey. Some of this is our story, which might feel a little bit repetitive, but I just think it's important that we remember the kind of narrative that we're part of, the story of God that's unfolding amongst us and the vision that he's called us to. As a church, we have a, we have a vision. We want to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. 
We want to help rewrite the story of this area and this region that we've been part of. Uh, when we gathered, when, they, when well, it wasn't there the very first morning, but when they gathered eight people in our living room, it was just we're hungry for God and we want to reach broken people. Yeah. That was kind of the essence of the journey. We want to just say yes to what we think Jesus is calling us to do. And slowly but surely, God, which he does, when you're faithful, he enlarges your heart with a vision for the area in which we live. It's very, very biblical because not only does God say that he'll enlarge your heart, but when you look at the New Testament, you come to realize that Jesus said that the preaching of the gospel and the good news would be shared in its own local. Then that would extend to the region and then that would unfold to the nations. And, um, and so when we planted Portadown, that was in the response to the Holy Spirit's prompting to try and establish something of what God had already done in us over in Lurgan, in, in, in this town in Portadown, in order to try and help see a base, a stronghold of worship, established for the kingdom of God and rooted into the ground. And um, in doing so, we sense God connecting us. In doing so, we felt God was saying, I want to connect you up with something I'm doing in this city now that is going to undercut and subvert the plans of the enemy that have wanted for years to keep people entrenched in their tribes and in the strongholds that already exist in this town. And have divided people for decades. And along the way, in our journey and our promptings, we felt the Holy Spirit say that it was right to partner which, with, which, with which was formerly uh, Upper Bound Vineyard. And it felt like the Lord was saying to us after years of friendship, I want you to do what you're expecting your communities to do which is lay down your rights, learn to love and listen to one another, and partner for something greater than just yourselves. Lay down your pride and your own ambitions and learn how to love and listen to one another. And that has been a wonderful, wonderful journey. It's been an incredible journey. It's been one of the great joys of my life being part of this. And I believe the picture I see is a, is a root um, has been established in the ground and it's like I see the the beginnings of a trunk of a tree coming up above the surface and I feel that that trunk is relatively strong and relatively healthy and I started to see the odd branch coming out of that trunk but it's still got a lot of growing up to do and I also see that underneath the ground as the roots continue to grow down that those roots already are good, but that they want to further um, widen out and root themselves in certain particular parts of the community in which God has called us to. And so I'm saying all that to say, I think we've still got lots of work to do. I think we've laid pretty good foundations. Biblical foundations. There's a difference between some of the foundations that we think it takes to plant the church these days and biblical foundations, and that's not me saying that I'm necessarily um, <clears throat> got everything right when it comes to the Bible, but I think we're trying to follow uh, the patterns that the Bible gives us around how to lay good foundations, because foundations are really, really important. Ephesians 2.20 says that Christ is the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets help lay out the foundations of the church inspired by Christ himself. And so part of those foundations are our core values, loving God, loving people, and loving the world. They help shape the culture of the house that we're trying to build. They not only help lay the foundations, but they also help shape as the house continues to build up and grow up as living stones. These, these core values help us to, um, these core values help us to shape that culture. And they're based on, they're a simple way, if you like, of saying the great commandment and the great commission. 
The great commandment was to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In this, all the law and the prophets have been fulfilled. This is a Torah of love, of self-sacrificial love, as we'll come to see. This is God's word to us. You can hang all the prophets and all the, all the law on love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love like God loves. That's essentially the great commandment. Loving God, loving people, and loving the world. That this message that Jesus came to live out, he wants us to partner with him in, and he wants us to extend his good news gospel to the ends of the earth. And at the heart of this gospel message is, if you remember when we taught through uh, Acts, at the heart of this gospel message is what we call the kerygma, which is the Greek word for the proclamation, the essence of the gospel. And what we've tried to teach here is that the essence of the gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Jesus is Lord. His kingdom is coming. One day the kingdoms of this earth will be the kingdoms of our God, yeah? Because what Jesus has done in and through his life, death, and resurrection has come to establish his rule and reign on the earth, right? The gospel, according to the scriptures it says in 1 Corinthians, is that Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. This is the core gospel message, right? And we want to see that established in our midst. Nothing else is Lord. No other idol is Lord. No other ideology is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is the essence of the gospel. And so it's been developing foundations that seem quite simple. But when you start to unpick what we actually are building sometimes, or churches and our evangelicalism on, it is not Jesus Christ is Lord all the time. And, and so we really want to be strong on teaching Jesus is Lord. And so strategically, as we try to think this out, as we try to set those foundations and as we try to teach them, we want to see our vision worked out in six long-term aims, right? And long-term aims, if you like, are the broad goals that help us kind of fill out this vision. Because that's quite aspirational, isn't it? Will we ever see that in our lifetime? I think we'll see glimpses of it. I hope we see most of it. But we're going to give our lives trying, right? How, how do we fill that out a little bit? So he, here, he, here's six long-term aims that you probably don't fully remember because they're a little bit longer. But I just think it's important to go over these this morning. First of all, we want to posture and prepare ourselves to help steward a move of God's spirit in the nation. We're not going to see the vision fulfilled unless God's spirit moves in power. Over and above our programs, our strategies, our tactics, whatever we do, we're not going to see it unless we see a move of God's spirit in the land. And I feel like I need to apologize less and less for believing that we might see that in our lifetime. A moving of God's spirit, living into a revival dynamic. We want that to become an expectation for our lives. And if we don't see it all in our lifetime, we want to give our lives forward so our kids get to live through it. An awakening of God's spirit like never before. All right? Amen? We want to create a culture of radical discipleship that releases a movement of people fulfilling the Great Commission. Right? We don't want to just cherry pick a few good leaders that can go and maybe lead a few churches. We want everybody fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission is for everyone. 
that means everyone should be able to do it. You with me? Right? The Great Commission is for everyone, and therefore everyone should be able to do it. And that's what we'll be talking about a bit more this morning. We want to build a mature, thriving local resource church. We want to have a church that plants other churches and resources other churches in the nation. And when we taught through Acts, we taught about the importance of places like Antioch and other churches that became like sending bases for missions. And we want to build that. That's what we've been longing to do in Lurgan. And we want Portadown here to help almost as one local church across the city support lots of churches across the nation. We want to release an apostolic movement of church plants around Ireland. Okay? We want to see loads of churches planted, as many as we can in our lifetime, for the glory of God amongst the lost and the broken. We want to conceive and implement citywide transformation initiatives for the Kurgavan area. Right? We want to start thinking what is in the imagination of God for this area in which we live. How can we see the flourishing and the peace and the shalom of God established in this city. That's what, we're, that's what we're longing for. That's what we're living for. How can we see education and business and health and all of those different areas of life, social, um, the social fabric of our city. How can we see all of these things develop and move in a way that reflects what heaven looks like, right? And, uh, and finally, we want to train and release leaders through a mature leadership development pipeline. We want to be constantly raising up leaders that lead. We need leadership. We need proper, gospel, courageous, bold, imaginative leadership. Because you don't need me to tell you, there's a dearth of that in the public square in our land at the moment. right? And we need courageous leadership and we want to give ourselves to do it. So those are our, our six long-term aims. Now normally what I would do at this point is I'd remind you of these six long-term aims, which we'll do each Vision Sunday. Uh, which we have done each Vision Sunday, and we will do each Vision Sunday for, you know, a number of years, however long we're here, unless they change, right? But what we would do at this stage now is then I would give you our short-term aims, right? Which are kind of 6 to 12 months, more practical, action-based, tangible steps of the things that I feel God's called us to focus on in order to achieve these long-term aims, right? Does that make sense? That's what I'd normally do. But I'm not going to do it this morning, Okay. Because we really feel that the Lord is calling us to hone in on one thing, this particular term. And that is not just for this particular term, it's for the rest of our lives. But we feel that we're at a moment where the Holy Spirit is almost bringing a telescopic kind of focus to what it means to be a Christian. Right? Now, I know this was going to feel like Maybe going to Alpha or something for some of you, or like a basics. But in our world today, and I, when I say some of these things, I don't mean to be, I am a lover of the church, I'm an evangelical, so I don't mean to be negative, broad, I'm not saying that. But what I do see, and what we're called to do, I think, is to prophetically, in grace and truth, critique what we see at times, and then align our lives with the Word of God. And what, I, what, what we see in the world today is people don't really know what it is to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a true follower and disciple of Jesus. And before I get into this, I want to say something, though. We can't fulfill the vision to rewrite the story of the city and the nations without a move of God's Spirit. I want, I want to just re repeat that first long-term aim because we really do want to posture ourselves 
We really do want to posture. So I can't emphasize that enough. We really do want to posture ourselves with an expectation that God is going to move. Another wave of his spirit is going to come. And we haven't seen all the fullness of that yet. But do I believe that a renewing process has begun in the church? Yes, I do. And uh, over the next three Sunday nights, we'd love you, if you can, we'd really encourage you to get out tonight um, because it's our family of families. And um, you, can, you can make the choice, but I'd love you to think about even over the next two or three Sunday nights in Lurgan, I'm going to be talking about revival. I felt like the Lord called me in my 40th year. I know nobody knows because I haven't made a big deal about it, okay? But um, uh, over, over, over the last year, I felt like the Lord's called me to read and to go and visit places where he moved before and to learn about what are some of the patterns and things that we need to learn. And so I'm going to be speaking about that over the next three Sunday nights from next week on in Lurgan. And I really feel the Lord wants to deposit something. And uh, I'm asking the Lord just to really set me apart, you know, to say something through me. Uh, hopefully he will. Um, but I know, that, I know that God wants to say, and we really want to posture ourselves. We want to get ourselves in position to be ready for the things that the Lord wants to do. We've seen some glimpses of what happens when the Spirit breaks in. And you've seen some of this in your lives. I've talked to one or two of you who have said to me recently, and it's been wonderful, I didn't know that you could actually live like this. I didn't know that this kind of acts to kind of the spirit of God just moving spontaneously and using me to pray for people. and that, I didn't know that was possible. And those are the first fruits of what God's going to do. And Mark Sayers, who's a key voice, I think, at the moment, um, he, said, he said this, Trace a revival back to its origins and you will inevitably find a person or a handful of people moved by God. People who took God on a renewal process that first changed them before it changed others. They experience a microcosm of revival. Usually this process happens to people who are not necessarily the leader everyone is expecting to be used most powerfully in the move of God. Instead, the process of renewal remolds them for God's purposes. Almost always this revival will happen in hidden places of obscurity, in a period of isolation, in which deep roots are grown for the influence that is to come and resilience and perseverance built for the resulting challenges. So I ain't going to put my cards on the table, right? I think this is what God has been doing for us. He's been gathering a people together in this town to experience a microcosm of what he wants to do beyond us. And when I look at some of the stuff that's going on in people's lives and the change and transformation, and when I look at some of the pain that some of you are experiencing right now, I believe that God wants to use that and redeem that because what is ahead? You're going to need resilience. You're going to need perseverance. You're going to need courage. You're going to need all of those things to respond to what God wants us to do. These are the glimpses of New Testament living that I think God is doing. In, in some way, I love this. Renewal is, revival is renewal gone viral. It starts in a people's heart. It starts in an individual. It starts in a group of individuals. And then God starts to move in, in, in a particular way amongst that people that prepares them to steward more of the new wine that God wants to pour out. 
But in order for that new wine, that first long-term aim, if you remember, to posture ourselves for a move of God, in order for that to be, once the new wine is poured out, it needs to be stewarded really well. Because what you get then is people who are claiming that they have a revival, and what they have is a genuine enough move of God, but it gets, it gets stewarded into a few long-term, a few meetings. So people just start having meetings every week and every night. And that's about it. Or maybe not, maybe not much more than that. But what we want to see is this spill out and to be stewarded and lives that get changed and transformed that impact the towns and the cities in which we live, in the places that we go. And in the greatest moves of God, we see leaders, we do see catalysts, and we even see figureheads. But crucially, the ones, the awakenings and the moves of God, and I'll say more about this over the next number of weeks, in the, in the moves of God that we see, the ones that crucially last the longest, they weren't dependent on the figurehead. There was, it was a spontaneous expansion of normal, ordinary, if you like, day-to-day people that love Jesus, that got accountable, and at the heart of and built wineskins to steward the new wine. It, essentially, at the heart of them, there were small groups. Small groups of people meeting in twos and threes and eights and tens, in homes, in businesses, praying, holding each other accountable, seeking the Lord, fasting, hungering after the things of the Spirit, and talking to their friends about Jesus. That's at the heart of so many of the moves of God. And so it's not actually as complicated, as technical, as sometimes we make it. And so because of that, we've been putting a lot of work into how we develop and mature discipleship in our church, how we create wineskins for change and transformations. And so we've started that by trying to define what we mean by discipleship, right? We've maybe said this before, but some people get confused or they just don't really know what we mean when we say discipleship. Because particularly for those of us who have been brought up in the church, it means different things. For some of us, discipleship means um, going to the midweek. For some of us, discipleship means meeting up with an older person and reading through the Gospel of John together. For some of us, discipleship means a, a number of different things, and all of those things are actually okay. But I think we feel sometimes that there's a bit of a confusion of that, and so when we talk about discipleship in Emmanuel, what we mean is this, following Jesus in all of life. It means apprenticing the master. It means following Jesus, and it means doing it in all of life. And so we just want to be really clear about that. It's really easy to remember, right? It's really simple. If it was a teacher, I'd get you all to say it together right now, but I'm not going to do that, right? But following Jesus in all of life. We want our kids to know that's how simple it is, although it's a high bar, right, which we'll get to in a minute. But in terms of understanding what we mean when we say it, we want our kids and our youth, this is what we mean when we talk about discipleship. And then what we've been doing is kind of in the background, one of the reasons that we haven't kicked off as we started the church with here's what we're going to do in sale and here's what we're going to do small group rights is because we, we really wanted to protect the culture that we're trying to create with small groups, right? So we didn't want them to become, um, as much as been a lot of good stuff with kind of the sale church model over the years, and that's really, really good and we really, really value it. And some of us have got lots of great stories about that. I think, there has been weaknesses over the years that get quite, they can get quite inward. They can get quite focused just on the needs of the group. They can sometimes lose their impulse for the people outside the group. 
you know, uh, and it all can get a little bit, unless they're well led and, and the culture set properly, they can all they can start to get a little bit weird, right? Now, there's lots of good there's lots of good stories as well. And so we've been trying to do a lot of work to develop life groups, you're going to call them, that have real life in them and life that overflows, okay? And uh, we want them to be places of discipleship, of conversation. We don't want them to be places where the leader of the group regurgitates the sermon on Sunday for 15, 20 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, and everybody else prays a short prayer and has a cup of tea and goes home, right? We want to get into the nitty-gritty of life. We want to keep the thing real. We want to talk about what's really going on. We want to have scurrier levels of accountability <laughs> with people that we've built loving, trusting relationships with, Right? in order for us to grow. Now, you don't have to go into one of those, but the reality is when the tide starts to rise, right, all the ships rise with it when the tide comes into harbor. And there's a sense in which as the spirit moves, the sense of responsibility grows as well. And we just feel like we'd love to encourage everybody here that almost the call to grow up into Christ-likeness, it's, it's kind of like the bar has been raised. And, uh, and, we, and, and the way to do that isn't actually... One of the ways to do that is by coming to church. That's really, really important. Not to make it an option, come to church. Because if you make church, just as a tangent, if you make church an option, it'll not even be an option for your kids. Right? It, it won't. It'll probably not even be an option. If you, if you, if you, just, if you just make it... So that's really important. But in itself, it's not enough. Right? We, need, we need something beyond it. We need, we need like Jesus modeled... Groups of three or groups of 12 to be part of where we grow. And so we've been trying to put a lot of thought into how we kind of set those up. And we've also wanted to train a number of people that we think could at least not necessarily be preachers in these or see it as an opportunity to you know, extend their opinions, but people who, let me put it like this, are trained in a kind of artful facilitation of conversations. Right, that are going to help people grow and mature. And so we've been working on that in the background. And next week, we're going to tell you exactly practically how we're going to, be, how we're going to go about that. Right? But that's going to be really important for us as we go forward, just to try and get as many people into smaller groups that can meet probably when it suits you as much as possible. It's not going to be one specific night in the week, but where people can grow into increasing Christ-likeness together. And we feel like that's going to be key to <clears throat> the foundations. And the reason that we're doing that is not because it's a program, it's because our main focus, the one thing, the one short-term aim, if you like, for this term, is to ask ourselves a question, how can we become more like Jesus Christ? How can we grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ? Right up front and center, right at the core of who we are, how do we follow Jesus in all of life? How can that be our main focus? And it's so important for us to be able to say that in the context of movement, in the context, in the context of that revival dynamic, because the early church met in small groups. Oikos to oikos is the Greek word, house to house, as well as coming to the temple. Right, But they didn't need to talk about revival because they were already living in one. So revival is not a biblical term in that sense. It's not used in the Bible because they didn't have to use it because they were living in a sense of ongoing movement. And so we really want the set, the things that we're putting in place, the wineskins that we're trying to create in the context of a move of God's spirit, not Christians just having their own little kind of thing. 
Okay? Caught up in something bigger. A devoted people caught up in the movement of the Spirit, loving in the disciple one another in such a way that they're multiplying disciples and they're seeing breakthrough wherever we go. If the Great Commission is for everyone, then everyone should be able to do it. That's our hardness. That everybody should be able to do it in the unique way that God has called it. And this, uh, next week we'll talk a little bit more of that. But alongside establishing those groups, we want to teach on what it really means to follow Jesus. And so over the next number of Sundays, we're focusing on the life of Jesus, explaining in as simple as we can the key practices and the holy habits that we think that Jesus had in his life. Right. So the Son of God himself had a number of different habits and practices in his life that helped him um, be faithful to what God the Father had called him to do. These are the six practices. Right? Prayer and worship to Jesus had a habit of prayer and a habit of worship. Okay? He, he, he communed with the Father. I'm not going to say too much about these because we're going to preach on each one of them. Two weeks in each one between now and Christmas. Okay? He, uh, he had a life of creativity. God is creator and Jesus was God. And Jesus was incredibly creative. His miracles were creative. His parables were incredibly creative. And God has created you to be creative wherever you live, right? That doesn't mean that we all need to go and sit under a tree and get our little kind of art set out and start drawing pictures, right? That means what you'll come to understand is each one of us have been created by God for good works to creatively and uniquely express them in business, in education, in health, in all the different facets of society that God has called us to, right? Jesus was somebody who lived a life of hospitality and generosity. He didn't have a home, and yet he was still the most hospitable person that ever lived. Jesus was somebody who was moved with compassion and stood up for those that were oppressed. He, was a, he lived a life of compassion and justice. Jesus was somebody who lived a life that had other people in it so that they could become like him. He practiced discipleship. And Jesus was somebody who lived out the mission of God. And so we really want to, and he did all of this, crucially inspired and anointed the Son of God, Jesus himself, was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do these. And so we want to teach how, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in these. Again, we're going to teach these to our kids. Again, we're going to teach these to our young people because we want this to be as kind of simple and as accessible for everybody in our church to know what it means when we say, this is what we think it means to be a follower of Jesus in all of life. Because Jesus didn't ask us primarily to believe a doctrine. And Jesus didn't ask us even primarily to pray a prayer. Jesus asked us to follow him in a way. And what we have discovered is, what I have discovered in 20 years or more of trying to serve the church and lead people is sometimes people don't know what that way actually looks like. And we want to help them understand that more and more. And when we do this, after, after this term, then we'll get back into Acts after Christmas, okay? Because this is really, really important, we feel. And when we, when we look at the state of the world today and when we look <clears throat> at the church, we want to be clear of what it means to apprentice Jesus well. You see, I, I have come to realize that people are clear that Jesus died, right, which is really important, but not really clear on how to live out the Sermon on the Mount. I have become aware that people are really clear that 
how they can condemn what is bad in the world, but they're not actually that clear of how to actually become like Jesus. I've become aware that people are clear in what they need to do to get into heaven, but they forget that Jesus said that there's some people have even prophesied in his name that aren't going to get in. (laughs) I've become aware that there's people that see what Jesus did for them as a kind of insurance claim to write off so it makes sure that they go to the good place, but they haven't a clue how to die in order to truly live. And I suppose we just feel like as much as we want to create a space, and talk again more about this next week, as much as you want to create a space for radical grace, everyone is welcome because that's the kind of life Jesus lived. Everyone is welcome. No matter who they are or what they've done, Jesus, along that journey, called people to a, a level of discipleship that we kind of lost in the church. Leave your mother and father and follow me. Unless you can eat my body and drink my blood, you're not worthy to be called my disciple. And then everybody started to leave. Because the, the calling to what Jesus was calling people to was everything. Yeah? And I suppose that's what we really want to push into. Because we believe, not in some kind of legalistic way, but because we really passionately believe that if you want to actually save your life, if you hold on to all those things, you're going to lose it. But it's only when we give those things up it's that we truly find the life that we're always supposed to live. Yeah? And so that's what we want to be about over the next wee while. And uh, add to all that I've just said about maybe what people aren't aware of, add this to the noise of the culture around us at the moment. And I know you know this, but there's just so much going on out there at the moment, isn't there? It's just, it's just noisy. It's, it's, it's confusing. It's disorientating. It's turbulent. So much opinion. So much social media hysteria. <laughs> So much confusion. And in the midst of the shaking, in the midst of the noise, in the midst of a distraction, we really sense the Holy Spirit is calling us to narrow the focus. So it's all going crazy out there, and we feel the Lord saying, right, narrow the focus. Kind of telescopic focus. That the Lord wants to touch our eyes again. And the Spirit wants to give us a realignment of our spiritual sight for one thing. To see Jesus. To see Jesus all over again. To be captivated by the beauty of them. And so in a sense you could say that our vision for this year is really simple. The vision is Jesus. The vision is Jesus. Obsessively, undeniably, dangerously, Jesus. Conformity into his image and making him known. This is the overarching destiny of our lives. This is kind of our signature verse for this year it'll be quoting this lots and it's in the message version god knew what he was doing from the very beginning he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored we see in the original intended shape of our lives there in him after god made that decision of what his children should be like he followed it up by calling people by name and after he called them by name he set them on a solid basis with himself And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. 
He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. This is our destiny. Our lives are to be shaped along the same lines as the Son of God, Jesus himself, to become into conformity with his image. In Jesus, we see the perfect design for our lives. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is God. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it doesn't look like God. And the challenge for that is, if our lives don't look like Jesus, you know the end of the sentence, right? That, that's the challenge in all of that. If God wants to say something, if God Almighty Creator wants to say something, it looks like Jesus. Okay? And so the good news in this all is that God actually, more than we maybe do, believes that we can become like Jesus through the power of His Holy Spirit in us. But I suppose in order for any of this to mean anything today, right? In order for any of this to kind of like get into our hearts, some of our hearts, I think, mine included, need defibrillated, brought back to life. Because the only way that any of this means anything, the only way that you walk out here this morning and go, do you know what, that's all worth it, what Alan's saying. It's worth teaching that, and it's worth doing life groups, and it's worth having these conversations. The only way that you think any of this is worth it is if you think Jesus is worth it. And the only way that you think Jesus is worth it is if you see his worthiness. And sometimes, not sometimes, but almost every day, in the distraction and the familiarity of life, I need a fresh glimpse of the worthiness of Jesus. I need shocked out of the familiarity of religion and even church, even as good as it is. I need shocked out of that. I need the Spirit of God to kind of like defibrillate my heart to see the beauty of Jesus, to become obsessed once again with the beauty of who Jesus is. I love this quote. I looked into the fa- I looked into his face, and I was forever spoiled for anything that was unlike him. We need to see the Lord in all his beauty. We need to see the glory of God Himself. It's the glory and the worthiness of Jesus that the Holy Spirit wants to captivate us with today. And throughout the scriptures are these key moments where the glory of God is revealed. There is an encounter with the living God. The very manifest presence of God comes and we see windows into the throne of God. And, you know, we have a theology in this church of encounter because you see it right through the Bible. God wants it. He wants it with his people. And I taught a little bit in this last year, but give me a few moments, and it's just to try as I bring this towards communion. Uh, I've mentioned before how when we talk about the glory of God, God has always wanted human agents that could engage with him and partner with him. And God's presence really moves through people who have had an encounter of his presence, who have seen him, who haven't just believed some dogma, but have actually had a heart-to-heart encounter, a deep-on-the-deep encounter of the living God. An encounter of his glory. An encounter of his beauty. And when we read of these encounters, we see manifestations of the glory of God. Now, we read of things like physical attributes. We read of angels and seraphims. And we read of fire. And we read of, we read of clouds. And we read of incredible kind of scenes in, in the Bible. And these remind us of the weight and the substance of the presence of God. The very word glory we've taught before is the word kabod in Hebrew, which gets an original kind of meaning from weight, 
right? And the weight of the presence of God, the substance of who he is, it fills out wherever that is. And when we see these manifestations that we know that God is close. But the manifestations are pointing to something else. They're pointing to the character of who God is. We see this in Moses. So when God comes down and Moses wants God to show him his glory, God comes, a cloud comes, becomes aware of these physical manifestations. But then he goes even deeper and God says, I'm a God who is slow to anger. I'm a God of long-suffering. I'm a God who's steadfast in love, who wants to bless you, a God of truth, and all of those things. And as these manifestations throughout the Bible continue, we see in Isaiah, we see in Ezekiel, these moments where the angels are covering their eyes, and people at the throne of God are crying holy, and all of this kind of stuff is going on. It's amazing. But we then start to realize there's like a king, there's like a shape of a man in these pictures. And it's a king-like figure, high and exalted and lifted up. And so they become aware, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, that there's, 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 within the physical manifestations of God and his glory, there is, there's a king-like figure, high and lifted up. And so when Jesus came on the earth, you see, it wasn't actually that much of a stretch for a lot of Jews who knew their Bible to believe that God could come in the form of a man because they'd been aware of these scriptures. What they just couldn't believe was that this king-like figure might look like a Jewish carpenter. What they couldn't just get their heads around was that this ultimate kind of warrior type would come and stick up for all the people that they thought were unclean. That's what they couldn't get their heads around. And Jesus comes and he walks the earth. And he he shows us who Emmanuel is. God with us. And the Gospel of John picks this up. And he talks lots about the glory of God. And how the Son of Man will be lifted up. This king-like figure. And he's referring to these scriptures. And he's referring to these Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. This king who is lifted up. This throne that's going to be glorified. And he's bringing them on a journey, particularly the Gospel of John. And it gets to this point just before Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus prays this prayer. He looked towards heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. What is John trying to say? John is trying to say that the way that God is going to reveal his glory more fully. Remember, the glory points us to, the, manif- the manifestation points us to the character of who God really is. John is trying to tell us that the way the substance and the weightiness of God's character is going to be revealed, the way the Son is going to be glorified is when this king-like figure is hanging on a cross. When this high and exalted one, the way God is going to most reveal his character is when the one who round the throne the angels cry holy to will hang, beaten, broken, bruised, punched beyond recognition and die for the sins of the world. This is the glory of God. That God would die for the ones that he loves in the form of his son. And when he did, and the temple was torn in two so that the presence of God could in a sense get out we see what God is really like God is like Jesus God is like Jesus this is who God is what a saviour what a saviour and we need to see Jesus 
And through this act of love, it pleased God to raise Jesus from the dead. Which is why in heaven today, there's one worthy to open the scroll. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the one who also is the little lamb that was slain. Because that self-sacrificial love overcome evil and death. It's going to swallow up death. It's going to soon, one day, swallow up even death. And so today we want to see him afresh. We want a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus comes to us. You know, I was thinking about this. I don't know if I'm saying this right. But, you know, sometimes Jesus comes to us so intimately. And he doesn't force himself on us. That we just end up taking him for granted. That we just become so familiar with the stories that we've heard that we forget who he really is. Who is this man? Who is this man? And throughout the Bible, it seems like people needed those encounters. We've talked about some Old Testament ones, but one day, even after seeing the kingdom, even after seeing miracles and Jesus doing great things, Jesus says to Peter, James, and John here, I want you to come up a mountain with me. And he takes them up a mountain, and they see Jesus transfigured. They see what he's really like. And then we think of Thomas, who kind of was there the whole three years. But then when Jesus rises from the dead, he's not sure it's actually Jesus at all. And then Jesus appears with the holes in his hands and his feet and Thomas has to look and go, my Lord, my Lord and my God. What about Paul on the Damascus Road? He knew all the scriptures off by heart, so learned in the scriptures, but he needed that moment where the light of the glorious gospel would shine in this and he would see Jesus, Jesus whom he was persecuting. We need to see the Lord. And then as we take communion, I want to just leave you with this verse. As they approached the village, sorry, this is the road to Emmaus. This is after Jesus. Two men were walking on the road. And this person, who we know to be Jesus, who they didn't know to be Jesus, came and walked alongside him. And this is what it says. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further. But they urged them strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he began to give it to them. I just want you to see this phrase, this little phrase. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us? While he talked to us on the road and they opened the scriptures to us. And I think as we start this year together, this is my one desire. This is our one desire as a leadership. We're doing this across Lurgan, across Portadown, and across the other churches, I think, as well. This, this is our heart's desire, that Jesus would just open our eyes again. Yeah? He would just open our eyes to see the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Just open our eyes. You know what caught me even this morning as I read this? As they approached the village to which they're going, Jesus continued as if he was going a little further. We need to exercise our will because here's what, I don't want Jesus going any further. I, I, when I have the opportunity to get him into my house for a feast, I don't want to get him, I don't want him going any further. I, I want to be like them. Stay with us. Don't, don't go a bit further. Stay with us. I want that encounter. I don't want somebody else just to get that. I want to get that encounter. Stay with us. And so I want to encourage you as we finish. I think we have to exercise our will. We have to exercise our volition to say, Jesus, stay with us.
We want an encounter of your presence. We want you to open our eyes to see how beautiful and worthy you really are because all of this is only worth it because you're worthy and you're worth it. And so what we're going to do and what we're going to encourage you to do, we're going to take communion now together. But we feel that strongly about this, that we'd love to encourage all the churches, all the people in our churches, over the next two weeks, you, you make a decision if you want to do this or not, but we'd really love to exhort you to do it, is to take communion in your house as a family together every day for the next two weeks. That's what we'd, that's what we'd love to encourage. Take communion together every single day for the next two weeks and ask Jesus to open your eyes again that we might see him. And to bring all of our lives under the lordship of Jesus. And in a moment we're going to say this prayer together. But what we've done is we've written a prayer for you to pray. It's on a sheet that you get at the back on the way out. We've written a prayer for you to pray together as a family every day. I know this is maybe slightly daunting for some of you and who, who have maybe even struggled over the years to even maybe pray together. Maybe you're a bit younger in the faith as, as couples, and that's totally fine. We really, really hear that. We just We want to put something in your hand that might even make it even a little bit more easy. Just even say this prayer together. You can say your own prayer if you want. We've got a really simple version of it done as well for the kids so they can sit with actions and all in it as well. So they can do that. And... Um, and we've got on the back of it just some little tips that's on the sheet at the back, some little tips of just how to do it, how to prepare for it, and how to do it together. If 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 you're not, um, you know, if you're if you're living on your own or and you can do it with friends, that'd be great. If you want to do it on your own, that's totally cool as well. But there's something about doing it together that's quite wonderful. And uh, and and so this is the prayer that we're going to pray in a moment. And just let me just read it once, and then I'm going to ask you to stand and read it with me. And then we're going to come to the table, all right, and uh, take communion together. Maybe, Caroline, you can come and even just get set up and play for us as we, as we do this. This is the prayer. It says, Father, I receive the invitation of your son, Jesus Christ, to come to this meal. I come in faith. I come as I am. I come through your grace. I come to remember. I remember with holy awe and a thankful heart what you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life. I come to confess I confess my sins, my apathy, my lack of devotion, my obsession with self. Please forgive me, Jesus. I come to receive. I receive your grace, your forgiveness, your unconditional love. As I eat of this bread and drink of this cup, I receive the Father's love. I come to declare. I declare your Lordship, Jesus, and your complete victory in my life over my family, over our church, and over our city and nation. Your cross is the source of my healing, my salvation, my righteousness, and my complete freedom. I come to declare your life-giving, resurrecting spirit is living inside of me. I come to give. I come to give you my life all over again. I allow your sacrificial love to be formed in me. I come to give myself to seek and first your kingdom in the way of the cross. I come to die again that I may truly live. I love you, Jesus. That's the prayer that we're encouraging you to pray in your families over the next couple of weeks. Encourage you to find a time that's appropriate for you to do it in the way that you want to do it with your family, but to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit and all of us, open our eyes that we might see him. Would you stand with me and we'll pray this prayer together.
just take a moment, why don't you, and just settle your heart. Okay, let's um, let's say this prayer together. I'll try and lead you. Just stay with me, and then we'll come and take of the table together. Father, I receive the invitation of your Son Jesus to come to this meal. I come in faith. I come as I am. I come through your grace. I come to remember. I remember with holy awe and a thankful heart what you have done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for me. I come to confess. I confess my sins, my apathy, my lack of devotion, my obsession with myself. Please forgive me, Jesus. I come to receive. I receive your grace, your forgiveness, your unconditional love. As I eat of this bread and drink of this cup, I receive the Father's love. I come to declare I declare your Lordship, Jesus, and your complete victory in my life, over my family, over our church, and over our city and nation. Your cross is the source of my healing, my salvation, my righteousness, and my complete freedom. I come to declare your life-giving, resurrecting spirit is living inside me. I come to give. I give you, sorry, I come to give you my life all over again. I allow your sacrificial love to be formed in me. I come to give myself to seeking first your kingdom in the way of the cross. I come to die again that I might truly live. I love you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of your sacrifice. Thank you for the glory of God. The long suffering, the steadfast love of Yahweh that we read about in the Old Testament revealed in the person of Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. We thank you for love that changed the world and will one day establish itself and that glory will be seen right across the earth and the heavens, even as the waters cover the sea. Lord, we live into that moment today and we live into this moment that you've called us to as we remember you today. And in these moments, we simply ask, open my eyes that I may see you again, Jesus.